Hello and welcome to the final part of our COP26 series, supported by the International Sustainability Institute Channel Islands. We've heard from key local players about eight core issues in the climate fight, from energy to adaptation, finance to youth empowerment. It's been a fascinating snapshot of the way climate change is impacting us here in Guernsey. To round things off, we invited Deputy Lindsay de Somray, President of Environment Infrastructure, Dr Andy Sloan, economist and founder of the International Sustainability Institute Channel Islands, and Sally Rochester from the IOD Guernsey, to reflect on what we've heard during COP26 and talk about what comes next. Deputy de Somray, you've been up in Glasgow at COP26. What was it like to be on the ground there? What was the overriding sense you got from it? I think in one word, urgency. Uh, that that was probably the, the biggest takeout. And it's so, in a way, it's great not to have to, you know, no one was there trying to persuade anyone that this was a problem that needed dealing with. Everyone is absolutely on that page. The only question now is, how much can we do and how quickly can we do it? So yeah, urgency was really the key takeaway. From my personal perspective, it was it was in, an incredible opportunity uh, on two fronts. One of those was content. So there was an awful lot of really, really good quality content, as you'd expect, because this is a convention of uh, some of the most uh, informed people in the world on this particular issue. So, you know, we really are talking about subject matter experts um, at a global level. Uh, so it was incredible to be able to access some of that information and hear, a, a, you know, a range of uh, very informed people speak. So the content was one side of it. And actually the, the other side that I wasn't um, expecting to be quite so productive was useful contacts. Um, and so uh, I spoke with a lot of people about um, Guernsey's particular uh, situation. And I think that was really fruitful as well. So I'm really excited to see what might come out of it. And Andy, you've been following from afar. Does it feel like this could be a turning point in the climate battle? I'm going to be brutally frank. I think the present participle is probably correct there. I mean, it is a turning. I don't think we've turned the corner. Um, I think that it's a continuation of the good work that's been done over the last five to six years. And I say good work, but uh, we need to be, get better. Um, as you heard me say this morning, in terms of investment in renewable energy, for instance, um, the investment in fossil fuels has been five times that globally in the investment in renewable energy since COP21. So, you know, we're talking commitments, um, action uh, is still lagging behind that. And, and Sally, do you get the feeling business is taking and talking a bigger interest than ever before in climate issues? Absolutely. Um, the um, COP26 has been called the finance COP. Uh, the finance sector certainly turned up in a way I don't think they've ever turned up before with, with commitments um, uh, to, to offer um, and certainly locally you know through the IOD convention through conversations I have with clients this is something that people are increasingly interested in incorporating into their strategy in part nudged by the regulator but also understanding the impact it can ha- have on how they engage with their stakeholders as well and the opportunities. And Lindsay Sally's talked there about it being the, the finance cop you've said about 
that's telling the story of Guernsey. What, what does that mean for Guernsey locally? Is there any opportunity there? Do people have an understanding of what we can do on the global stage through our finance industry? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think actually Andy is probably the better person to go into detail on this. But um, our our role as a green and sustainable finance centre is a key pillar of our climate change policy. And actually, that was one of the things that people at COP who I was speaking with found really, really interesting. Uh, that and the fact that we also incorporate our overseas aid and development, because obviously um, climate change is disproportionately affecting some regions of the world much more than others and they tend to be much poorer countries as well um and uh also there's more you can do in mitigation in, in many respects that really is where the front line of uh climate change is so our overseas aid and development is another really important strand and the fact that we incorporate our strategy for nature into our climate change policy is again people something that people were really impressed with and andy on that green finance is guernsey doing enough can it do more Oh, I think it can, you can always do more. Um, but we've we've been, you know, uh, used to use the the sort of tagline at the forefront of the development of sustainable finance. We have our you know development of the first regulated regime for investment funds, the Guernsey Green Fund, the ESG gears, ESG framework for insurers. But 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 you know, the, my point being is that this investment in this area is still slower than it needs to be. And there are there is more that can be done, I do believe, which is the rationale and one of the rationales for setting up the International Sustainability Institute, the Channel Islands, that there are new products and new structures that we can bring to the world. There's public good aspect by transparently making more uh, contributions in this area. And again, as you heard me say this morning, I do think there's 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 a role for the. uh, for, for, for good old-fashioned economics in this and the, the climate disclosures that are coming to a regulator near you, I believe will be very, very useful in determining rates of return and enable uh, to more transparently to, to flag that investment in this area is actually financially lucrative. And, and Sally, do you think the messages and that urgency that Lindsay talked about of COP has cut through to us here in Guernsey, whether that's the business community, kids, adults, parents, all of us. Do you think it's cut through yet? Yes, I do. I mean, we had a, a reasonable turnout for the Climate Change March on, on Saturday, which was great, and there was some you know, good discussion and commitments there. Um, and I think, yeah, you can't avoid it. The headlines have been absolutely rammed full of... Um, COP reporting. Now, unfortunately, some of that's been quite negative in terms of commitments made and, and anticipated impact. And you know, Andy's talked about the need for action rather than commitment, and I totally agree with that. Um, but I think the positivity will tick up over the next few days. You know, we had a good announcement on the UN, um, US and China today uh, making commitments. And I think if we can end this COP26 on a really positive note, that, that will be a good springboard for us to take our uh, net zero commitments, both from a government and a, you know, a, a finance and a private company um, perspective forwards. Uh, and this week, uh, during this podcast series, we've talked about energy, transport and the built environment. And we've heard from young voices as well. And And Lindsay, I think you kind of said this already, but the, over, the, the absolute overwhelming message has been act now. Are we really in a position to do that? In terms of one of the rationales for the Institute, I think there is an awful lot more we can do in terms of global good as the Channel Islands. Uh, and one of the 
the opportunities that I believe that we, we need to grasp is the opportunity to be the, the terror what islands. For, you know, as I outlined this morning, we have the potential to export renewable energy at scale. And we're talking we could develop 20% of installed capacity of the UK, you know, right around us here. And it's there. The cost and the economics of it are, are, are coming to us now. And that it, it is feasible, it is practical, it's pragmatic over the investment time scale that we're looking to achieve net zero. So I do believe that's a, a major plank of what we can do as a, as a Channel Islands. And Lindsay, what's your take on that, about the need for action now and whether we're in a position to do that as a bailiwick? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'll point out is that we have been acting, you know, and I think um, one of the things that I have come to realise, especially in the conversations over the last few weeks um, in in the public arena, is that we probably haven't been very good at communicating what we as a jurisdiction have already achieved uh, and certainly what those next steps are. So that's something that I'm taking back and I'm, I'm, you know, we'll be really proactive about communicating what we've already done where we're going next and that long-term vision um so but yeah there are all kinds of uh things that are completely actionable now uh we can act uh, at an individual level we can act as businesses and of course there's an awful lot of work that government is doing at the moment as well that should bear fruit over the next few years um so yeah i'm i mean i, I think the other important point is that it's not a binary issue in that it's not something that we either win or we lose at. You know, we know that climate change is happening. It's already happening. And we know that it's going to continue to happen. happen. Um, so really, anything that we can do, any contribution to lessening its impact is a good thing. And one of the messages that I picked up over the last week at, at COP was that we actually don't know how close we are to some of these tipping points. Tipping points are really the point of no return and where things tend to really escalate uh, out of control. Um, so really, any little thing that we can do is worth doing, whether that's at an individual level, because obviously the cumulative impact of lots of people doing lots of little things is going to be significant uh, at a business level and, of course, at a governmental level. But everything is worth doing because it's not a case of we either achieve it or we don't. It's a case of this is a spectrum and anything we can do to minimise the negative impact is definitely worth doing. Just picking up on the energy side of things, we, we did a podcast this week and with, with Stuart Blondell from Gains Electricity. I think one of the things they're really keen on is having a clear route map to net zero and having a clear plan as to what those milestones are. It was also very interesting because he actually said that electricity makes up not the majority of emissions within the energy sector. So, you know, it's not just about electricity, it's about cars, so what's your view on energy and, and reaching that kind of practical milestones and having a clear route map? You've talked about perhaps people not understand where we are now, but how do you communicate that going forward? On cars, well, I'm going to jump in here. I mean, you know, cars is a done deal. You know, cars are going. I mean, the internal combustion engine is on its way out, whether it's going to be electric cars, hydrogen cars, manufacturing, I won't be making them in 10 years' time. So don't worry about it. They're gone. What you're going to need is to be able to generate the energy to actually fuel the uh, cars, either whether they're producing hydrogen iron or generating electricity. We need to be able to generate the electricity with a, you know, a, a zero carbon content uh, and not just through statistical transfer. 
Yeah, I'll I'll add to that. I, that's that's absolutely correct, and it's part of that communication message as well. Um, we know that some of these, you know, we know the policy. Our energy policy is actually really clear. It sets out a clear path to decarbonisation. Um, the the detail that we're working out now, and uh, all those sort of hydrocarbons providers are working on as well, is how we get there and how we get there quickly. Um, but obviously, the the key is a managed transition um, because uh, energy is just such a fun fundamental requirement in life. There's so many things that depend on it um, that we need to make sure that it is a well-managed transition. We do keep things affordable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I would say that it's not just about silver, you know, technological bullets. We need to look at the demand side. And one of the key messages in um, terms of energy that relates to uh, transport in particular is that we shouldn't just be aiming, aiming for clean energy. We need to be aiming for low energy. Um, so that's really, you know, one of the sort of fundamental facets of a sustainable transport system is not actually needing to use that energy in the first place. So non-motorised modes of transport, that's why walking and cycling, for example, and public transport, which is a really efficient use of energy, um, that's why they're right at the top of the hierarchy. And what about local renewables versus the second, well, the direct electricity link to France? How important are those two things to achieving a lower carbon economy, but also which is a priority perhaps uh, for you, which is going to get us there quicker, basically. I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, the, the kinds of things that Andy's talking about, about exporting, you need to be plugged into a major grid. Um, so, you know, in a, in a way, a, a cable is a facilitator for that kind of thing. But really, I'm, I don't want to go into too much detail because this is what we're working on at the moment. It's our electricity strategy where we have to make some really important decisions about our uh, security appetite, our risk appetite, our cost appetite. Um, and I'm really interested and hearing uh, what Andy's got to say as well about um, increased investment, especially, you know, governments can't do this on their own. Security of supply is an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, I was at the Workers' Economic Association with uh, with Roy Bisson back in, in May, uh, talking about sustainable finance, when we talked about, I talked about the security of supply, and I think it was the day before the French threatened to cut Jersey off. And, you know, people forget, if they cut Jersey off, they cut us off in the process. So, you know, um, there is a there is there is an interesting issue there. But for me, it's it, it, it's it's illogical to be importing. And that, just think of it in monetary terms. Why would you why would you lose cash? Why would you have a cash leakage for exports when you can generate uh, locally? And in terms of you know, it's not about one income. That's a hundred million squids. You know, these are pennies in the grand scheme of things. To be able to invest and be able to export in terabytes. Of electricity, we are talking billions of investments going to be required. But just give you an idea of the scale, idea of the context. Now, Denmark is talking about creating a thirty-five billion pound island to generate renewable energy. Now, these are the scales and the sums that you know that's involved here. And we're talking about an investment horizon that goes. You know, we're talking twenty fifty. That's the well, just under thirty years to go. That's a huge time horizon that we've got to be looking at. So we've got to scale up our vision and our ambition about what we can do in this area. Because you know, we, I think we owe it to the world to be able to harness the resources that we have on our doorstep and not just tinker around the edges. Sally, do you feel that uh, you know, there's talk of action now, not tomorrow, action today. Do you feel that Guernsey is in a good place to do that, including from the business community? Is stuff happening? 
I do I do think there's a huge opportunity to act now and you know, to echo Lindsay's point about this is you know small actions by individuals as much as it is you know Andy's prospect of you know exporting energy whatever action you are able to take at a personal at a corporate at a governmental level is valuable right now um and and i think for me the interesting point that comes out of these conversations is the idea of action in collaboration that we are not islands we cannot well we are an island in guernsey but we can't operate alone and actually if we share these thoughts as, as andy and Lindsay have been doing and we come to the best conclusion and we're able to act now that's a really powerful proposition is business doing enough by itself is is it taking the lead on this is business acting now not yet um i don't think um and you know it is, it, it's not easy there's a huge data requirement to be able to measure and reduce your carbon footprint and that's something that a number of businesses are working on i think more can be done um and i think you know, Guernsey Finance is a great example of being able to direct funds to the transition to, to net zero. Um, but I think each business on the island is able to play their part in some way, shape or form. Now, action this day is the slogan of this state. Do you think the current assembly see climate issues as an actual priority? I mean, a real priority. Andy, what do you think? I, I personally think that the... the um the music to me seems to be in favour of you know, significant action and acting at scale. I do think, you know, acting now and acting properly is something that you pick up from, uh, well, why this? I'm not a state's watcher, but, you know, but I hear about it in the Assembly and PNR. So I, you know, with the, with the new political regime, have good, good hopes for uh, progress in this area. Um, yeah, I see a shift in, in sentiment and support for action in relation to climate change. Um, there's been a few, few things recently which I think have been positive. But I think Lindsay's point about communicating what's been done and what comes next would give great comfort to the island and also inspire and motivate them to play their part. And Lindsay, do you think there's the political will to make this a priority or there's some climate dawdlers, shall we say? Well, in theory, it's been prioritised through the government work plan and we've got some really important bits of work, for example, around the green and blue economies um, that have, you know, our funded priorities. So that's really good news. Um, but I think time will tell. Uh, it, it will really, we will find out if the Assembly is actually prepared to put its money where its mouth is on that particular issue. But just to follow on from what Sally was saying earlier in terms of businesses and are they doing enough, I think government's got a really important role to play with that. And I think actually the uh, transition that we've seen in the um, car industry that Andy was talking about earlier is a really good case in point. Businesses needed the certainty of policy decisions in order to invest in a particular uh, direction, in particular technologies. And as soon as they got that certainty, it was really interesting, actually, because the original uh, deadline for, for the phasing out of internal uh, combustion engine vehicles was, in fact, 2040. But because there was some certainty, businesses were able to, they had the confidence to invest in that technology, to put the money into the research and development. And then things started to really accelerate, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, and we saw that, uh, that deadline come nearer and nearer and of course now it's at 2030. So that just shows the importance of government policies in terms of business decisions. So I think there's a really, really important role in, ter- that, that in, uh, in that government can help businesses to do that. 
What will COP mean for Guernsey? Will it mean having to make new commitments, Lindsay? Well, yeah. If the if the Paris uh, Agreement is is you know extended and ratified by by our Assembly, then I think that's a a really important milestone for several reasons. I mean, not least because we market ourselves as a green and sustainable finance centre, and I think it's really important that we can show that we walk the walk, um, and it, it shows that we uh, are committed to this. We've thought things through, um, but also the Paris Agreement has got a, a sort of ratcheting device. It, it allows us to escalate ambition. And, you know, that's what Andy was talking about earlier. And I completely agree. Um, that's something that that everyone needs to focus on. And I think that's something that, um, you know, Guernsey obviously can do as well. Are there quick wins as well, maybe politically and economically that we could have? We've seen some action in terms of planning rules being relaxed, electric charging, etc. Are there other things like that that could be done relatively quickly, which would help cut emissions? There, there are all kinds of things that we can do right now without having to wait for anyone. I mean, um, when I spoke at the IAD convention uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about a hierarchy approach. And really, that's about how we prioritise our actions. And really, the more effort, I know everyone, we, we tend to want a, a nice, neat silver bullet technological solution but actually the most effective measures uh, usually involve not using stuff in the first place whether we're talking about waste whether we're talking about transport whether we're talking about energy and um, really if we cannot create those emissions in the first place we've got far less of a problem uh, to deal with further on down the line so actually there are relatively small relatively simple sometimes changes that we can make that can have a proportionately big difference uh, make a proportionately big impact um, and often those things are quite boring but very important around actually just reducing you know not using stuff reducing how much we use of stuff and I'm talking in very general terms here consumption is really at the heart of a lot of this and um, so if we can reduce our demand then all our other problems sort of diminish in proportion as well and, and Sally are you flying less as a business person I know it's a, perhaps a slightly glib thing to say, but are you flying there? It's a really good question, and actually, Deloitte's footprint um, has been has has been measured, and yeah, about seventy percent of our carbon footprint is as a result of of travel, um, and the majority of that is air travel. And so, yes, the, we we as a business have made a commitment to reducing our um, internal travel by seventy five percent and our external travel by fifty percent, um, and that's going to be a product of you know carefully assessing from a number of perspectives why. And when we travel, you know, from a well-being, from a cost, from an environmental perspective, and making a more intelligent choice about when it's worth getting on that plane, which of course we have to do as islanders, um, and when actually we make the decision to do something like uh, to do something virtually. And Andy, what other small things could we do, or things that could be done now that could make a change? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I'm on um, the board of the SI Monitor, Mark Lennay's measuring uh, environmental services company, and he, I think he uses a phrase: "What you can't, what you don't measure, you can't manage." Uh, and basically, you should start. People should start measuring uh, what they do and their carbon emissions. You know, um, there's a very successful uh, sort of uh, two or three years. There's lots of companies signed up, but there are yeah, there are more companies that don't than do. Um, you know, I'm chair of Obsidian Fund Services, and, and we you know we committed we measured it from day one as a, a net zero commitment because we could we were a startup. Um, and again, I think in the salary, I'd, I'd hope you'd agree with me here is that well, you know, in all states. It's not just about what you do, but you also might need to measure what you're investing in, because in terms of a finance sector, and this is a big risk for us here, um, if we continue as we are, we, we, were, we were fast, we were first, we were a, 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 you know, a first mover in sustainable and green finance, 
but we'll be readily left at the uh, water's edge if we don't actually uh, keep up with the developments elsewhere. And in terms of finance disclosures and understanding where TCFD has gone, not is going, it's, it's the past tense now, and that firms locally will be needing to ensure that they're doing it on behalf of their clients, they're doing it on behalf of their portfolios, they're measuring, they're reporting, they're disclosing. That's the, that's the thing they can do because people will look at us in two years' time and say, but why, only, why is it only 5% of portfolios are measured? And that, and that, that won't be good enough. It'll need to be 100%. And, and Sally, perhaps going back to that business point, how important is that collaboration between business and government? And is there a sense business is more engaged than, than ever before? Yeah, so definitely businesses are more engaged. I'm talking about climate change more and more and more with our clients. Uh, there's more requests for assurance on, on the disclosures that they are voluntarily producing. Uh, there's more requests for guidance on how they incorporate it into their business strategy, you know, m- mostly in terms of commercial opportunity as well as managing the risk of climate change. So definitely there is a movement in that direction. You talked about there about collaboration between individuals and business and government. And I think for me that's pr- primarily necessarily because of limited skills and expertise on the topic, not only in Guernsey but globally um, you know as, as an organization we're busy recruiting uh, experts in climate change and sustainability um, left right and center and the market is impossibly difficult to to tackle so how do, do you feel that the states engages successfully with business to utilize the experts that are out there in business in an informal way, yes, but I, and I'll pass over to Lindsay in a second because I'm sure she'll have some and has some thoughts on this. But I think there's more that we can do to to bring together expertise in one place to be able to support both policy and business. What, like an environmental committee? Council, exactly, yeah. a kind of climate change. Go on, Lindsay. <laughs> that is exactly uh, what we are focused on um, uh, in the coming year, actually. Uh, so an independent advisory panel, and I say panel, but actually it, we just need a mechanism to be able to access the right expertise in the right way when we need it, um, because that is something that we're really lacking as a government. Uh, and we want that resource to be able to advise not just uh, the states and all the different committees and the different policy and action areas that we're working on, but also the business community and the and the, commu- the wider community as well. So, yeah, I completely agree. That's always been a priority for me. Uh, I'm happy to say we have got the funding um, as of the budget debate uh, a few weeks ago. So that is something that we are going to be focused on um, very, very soon. And Andy, how important do you think something like that is? Very important. I think also the point that I do want to make and my sort of major final point is that it's not just about government and businesses collaborating with each other, it's about businesses collaborating with each other, and they're already doing so. You've got the Guernsey Green Alliance, which um, Sally's colleague Joe uh, is, is on, Joe Huxtable, that is, and my wife will kick me if I don't mention her. Um, but she, you know, she represents Credit Suisse Trust on that, you know, very much. Um, we all remember Paul, uh, Paul Anagar's baby, but that's about businesses sharing knowledge and coming together and best practice. So, uh, and obviously you've got the chamber with um, uh, with Rollo uh, uh, and Jennifer, you know, leading a lot of action. There's other actions that we haven't had time to, uh, to, to cover off in terms of the sustainability of what we eat and also particularly in terms of housing, which is one that, uh, another time for another podcast, as it were. Absolutely. And the podcast uh, we had with Alex Titheridge uh, is a really, really great podcast. He explains the challenges and how we can get through that really, really well, because the built environment, as you say, is a massive challenge. 
So that's definitely a podcast to listen to. And perhaps we could end up with some final thoughts from from Sally and Lindsay. Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, Andy, Andy rattled through a, a few uh, good examples of um, collaboration within the business community. And I have to applaud the IAD as well for, uh, you know, making sustainability the core theme of their, their convention and not for the first time. Um, but I think it really does uh, open doors to, and actually I've, I've been in a meeting just this morning that arose out of that businesses wanting to do things differently. But I, I completely agree there's an awful lot um, of benefit in doing that. And actually, that was a theme that came up time and time again in, in all the conversations around COP is we, we you know, this is not a, a siloed issue. Climate change is an umbrella issue that touches on every aspect um, of, of our lives, really, uh, and or so many of them. And so we have to take that kind of rounded, um, holistic approach. We just have to weave it in to, to what we're doing. So it's great that businesses are uh, talking with each other it's great that we've got the mechanisms uh, and those different forums are, are coming forward for those conversations to happen and yeah i'm i'm personally i mean i'm i'm an eternal optimist but i am really looking forward to see what we can do in the coming year and and sally what's your final thought yeah i'd agree with what, what Lindsay said but i would also um i suppose thank you for running the podcast series i think it's very timely and it's given a lot of people a voice on on the the cop 26 topic um but i would also um plea i suppose ask and maybe maybe plead um with your audience to just have a think about what action they can take because it's it's great to talk about this and raise awareness and raise education when education is a really important part of what we do over the next couple of years in guernsey and in the financial services sector but it is within everybody's gift to take action now um as you stressed earlier on and, and i'd love to see that happen Thank you very much, everyone. It's been a fascinating conversation and I'd like to thank everyone as well who's taken part in the podcast and Tony Kerr, who's been helping put this together. He's done a fantastic job. 